Hello, Breakers, and welcome to the 45th episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I am here with absolutely no one at all, because a perfect storm of different events have made it impossible for John and I to find a mutually compatible recording date. However, rather than leave a big honking gap in the episode list, I have had an idea. You see, normally John and I end up talking about a whole load more stuff than I can actually fit into a single episode each time. So what I normally do is I upload all those extra bits as weekly bonuses for those listeners who kindly support our independent podcast on patreon.com slash projectstudioteabreak. But this month, I'd like to give you all a taste of what you're missing if you're not yet a patron yourself, by sharing four cracking news items that we just couldn't fit into past episodes. The first one was recorded for episode 38, the second for episode 31, and the last two for episode 18. So roll the Project Studio time machine. Now, COVID-19 continues to affect the live performance arts, Mm -hmm. even after this long period. It's slowly opening up, Mm. but it wasn't soon enough, unfortunately. No. For the loyal company of town criers. Oh, interesting. Okay. Who were scheduled to hold the uh, British Town Crier Championships. And unfortunately, I mean, schedules are schedules. Yeah. So they had to schedule this contest. I can think of few things less COVID safe than shouting in crowds, <laughs> but, but do go on. So they decided, in view of COVID, that they had to make this a socially distanced mm. or like a non-contact occasion. I mean, normally... <laughs> There'd be, like, more than 100 criers in some town somewhere. Oh, my word. That's so cool. That'll be a hell of an event. But worth yeah. attending. Yeah, absolutely. No, we, uh, it's we'll, great we'll, publicity, this for that. We'll report live from it next time it happens. What would you think will be a way to replace this I'm event? worried you're going to say Skype Town Crier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <gasps> that was their worry, too. Because they were concerned that their members, as traditional <laughs> holders of yes, traditional values, traditionalists, right, might be unable to capture sufficiently high quality audio and video. Yes, to okay. really do justice to their cries. Well, I like these people more than the Massachusetts Technology, <laughs> or whatever it stands for. Uh, and so they decided instead to hold it in silence, <gasps> with written cries alone being submitted. So this year's Town Cry contest was based on written entries alone. I'm so proud of you guys. This is weird and wonderful and brilliant to be making a podcast about. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) Organiser Carol Williams, who is the Bishop Stortford crier, said, It's a return to the bare bones of crying. Mm. It's a real skill to write a cry that sticks to the theme, that enlightens people and doesn't bore the audience. And it all has to be done in 140 words. <laughs> I thought 140 was a very evocative yes. number. It's like a proto-Twitter, isn't it? It is. It is a little bit. You have to assume that's part of where the, where the inspiration came from. You know, the only thing that would make this better is if we somehow had access to perhaps some of the cries that were submitted. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't know this about cries. Mm. They all start, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. They all end with God Save the Queen. And the rest of it rhymes. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Hey, fun little factoid about that. You know, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, this classic pound (laughs) trial. Sorry, I'll get you in a moment. Please. I've just noticed that one of the little subheaders on their site says, Scroll of Honour. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but I just thought it was great. But we are absolutely going to find out. So, oh yeah, is Spanish for listen in the imperative form. Oh yes, yes. So it just means you listen. Any idea why town criers start in Spanish? Weird, that, isn't it? <laughs> Show-offs? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so, it was won this year by Alistair Chisholm. Oh, yes. Who successfully defended his title 
He is now 11 times national oh my champion. Word. Dorchester Crier. It's worth going to and Dorchester for. The theme of the cry for the competition was nature and the environment. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, chosen this year by Mental Health Awareness Week. Okay. So here we go. 140 word limit. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. Sunshine almost always makes me happy, but sometimes I'm depressed. And I am not the only one. It happens to the best. The natural world is wonderful. It's beauty unsurpassed. It lifts you up when you are down. And better thoughts it casts. The time has come to reconnect with flora and with fauna. To sense our place in nature and restore its special aura. To walk in fields and forests, by lakes and running streams, improves our mental health, bing, and revives our hopes and dreams. COVID-19's been a trial for us all. It's damaged minds the cruelest of all. So let's treasure nature and all of its glories. For time spent therein will improve all our stories. Oh, yes. God save the Queen. God save the Queen, indeed. Thank you very, very much. Fine, fine thing. My first and very urgent question: mm. What are the barriers to submission? Oh, yeah, that. Oh, you are I you way so ahead there already. Me. The thing is, I kind of think you actually have to be an official town crier to enter. Now, official town crier is an unknown quantity to me. Is that an online form one has to fill in? <laughs> Could we forge a letter? <laughs> <laughs> the Berlin town crier. The. the bur- <laughs> I mean. It could happen. I mean, the level of poetic uh, construction there, I think, is attainable for us. I, w- I want to give it a shot. I absolutely <laughs> want to. I mean, and the first line and the last line are taken care of, of already. So that's yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. the middle bit. It's only 140 words. Only 140 words. Are you? I mean, 10 a day and you're done in a fortnight. Listener, are you from a town that doesn't <laughs> currently have a town crowd? No, for real, or a little village or anything. <laughs> yeah, a, a hamlet. And we can be there for like some in-person mm. things in return for the position of official mm. little blendingly town crier. <laughs> and then we can make this submission. I'm really excited about <laughs> it. And we, actually, we should do a bit of digging here. Yeah, absolutely. See if we can get onto the leaderboard. Do we, I mean, do we have any small town listeners? I, I can't imagine no, that everywhere... I mean, these have all got to be metropolitan powerhouses, surely. Like Dorchester. <laughs> 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 and I don't know. Do we need residents there? Ah, oh, oh, as you say, like, would a Berlin town Entry cry? requirements. Oh, rules. 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 Okay, here we go. Uh, champion, British Championship rules of competition. Okay, let's have a look. British Championship. Already I feel like our Teutonic... Oh, well, we've got the... We've got the... <laughs> We've got the categories of judgment. Sustained volume and clarity. I reckon we could do that. I reckon so. Diction and inflection. <laughs> Presentation and engagement. Uh, Content of cry. Okay. And accuracy. Ac- <gasps> accuracy is fun. <laughs> so you got to just make up some content. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's also best dressed crier. Amazing. Slash consort slash couple award. It doesn't seem to have any entry restrictions. See, that's, that's Which very is... exciting. Catnip to the Project Studio Tea Break podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm just googling how to become an official town crier, <laughs> in case that's that's another way in. Okay, this is straight from Google, so who knows? But official town criers must be appointed by the local council or lord of the manor. If your town already has a crier, currently about 250 in the UK, 
then try a neighbouring town. There are plenty of towns that don't have their own crier. Send the mayor a letter asking for the council to reinstate the role and request that you be considered for the post. So I reckon if we had a sponsor hmm. in the town, someone resident in yeah. the town, I'm looking yeah. directly at you, listener, <laughs> and we could write a letter to the mayor or lord of the manor or local council, mm. putting ourselves forward. There is no Cambridge town crier in oh. their list. Oh, well, that's quite interesting. Ely has one. I don't know what his, I don't know what his territory is. <laughs> Whether we'd get into a turf war. I, I, I mean, I'm not having you <laughs> crying hopefully. on my territory. Be a battle of the bells. Well, I'm sure Cambridge has a town crier. Maybe it's maybe there's not a member of the loyal company. I was going to say there there are apparently two competing guilds. Gosh, gosh, I'm learning an, I'm learning an awful lot. <laughs> More than we ever wanted to know about town criers. In fact, no, we, there's, there's no <laughs> limit to that, really. Cambridgeshire town crier. Oh, you have it. Hear ye, hear ye. Cambridgeshire town crier wins national town crier competition. This was in 2017. So maybe town crier Avril Hater Smith, pictured, well, maybe. has since uh, stepped down. Thought, do you think we could write to some town criers and say, well, if you're thinking of hanging up your bell and your traditional costume, Ooh. or if you want to do a sabbatical? Oh, yeah, if you just want to take... Oh, we could do an apprenticeship. And actually, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. He, Cambridgeshire, Ely's beloved town crier, has scooped a national award. So this is just a Cambridgeshire thing. The city of Cambridge... Doesn't seem to have one. For anyone who's not from around there, by the way, you would be forgiven for thinking that Ely was a small town or possibly even a large village. It's tiny. It's beautiful and it's well worth an afternoon out to. But it's a city purely by virtue of having a cathedral. Mm. And for some reason, having a cathedral makes you officially a city. It must be one of the smallest cities it's got, it's pretty in the small. world. But again, very beautiful, great cream teas. Can't recommend it enough <laughs> if you're in the area. So, John, what is your knowledge of recent action movies like? Oh, gosh. Um, I saw that one with Thanos on a plane. Mm. Uh, I mean, I saw it on a plane. I don't think he's on a plane at any point in it. <laughs> I'm aware that there's a couple of Spider-Man, Spider-Men that I've missed now. Uh, equally that Joker fellow. Um, yep. I'm realising, as I'm saying this to you, it's not very up to date. What about Fast and the Furious? Oh, I heard about the first one. Oh, right. So, have you ever heard the name Vin Diesel. Now, Vin Diesel I know from his very short-lived um, action movie franchise Triple X. Oh, right. Well, there you go. Which 14-year-old me was sure was the pinnacle of cinematography, storytelling and um, <laughs> symphonic action. Now, what can you tell me about Vin Diesel? I can tell you immediately that he's bald. Yep. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a big, strong chap who shouts a lot and hits people. Yeah. Well, his characters do. I have no idea if, if the man himself is, is gentle as a kitten. <laughs> How would you characterise his voice? Affected gravelly. I mean, it's a recognisable voice, I think. Oh, oh certainly, certainly. It's quite deep. Mm -hmm. I mean, he affects to make it as deep as he possibly can, particularly in the Fast and Furious films. Well, yeah, you, you can hear the kind of pulling it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, in every in every syllable, yes. Well, we're not the only ones to have noticed this. Oh no, no, because the uh, EDM producer Kygo <laughs> has just released Vin Diesel's first single. <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh my word! How is this not, Mike? Mike, you're too early. We're not at the jam section yet. 
what, what are you doing? Well, I mean, the reason why it can't possibly be in the jam section is it's absolute pants. <laughs> I mean, it's called. I mean, it's called Feel Like I Do, but basically it should be called Will This Do? Oh, dear. I mean, from Kygo, who already is the most handle-turning of... I mean, he is the modern Puff Daddy, isn't he? Mm. I mean, you've had Whitney Houston now, Tina Turner. (laughs) He basically takes some famous singer and just runs him through the Kygo EDM sausage machine. (laughs) Oh, sausage machine is is harsh but fair. It's so lazy. If you think you can imagine what it sounds like... Mm. It probably sounds a bit worse than that. Because <laughs> he's been absolutely auto-tuned to Kingdom Come. His lyrics are almost unintelligible. And you've got the, like, pitch-shift vocal hooky thing, you know, where they chop the vocal up and move it around and pitch-shift it and stuff. It's like, yeah, yawn. It's like EDM by numbers. Is it recognisably his voice? It kind of is, yes. But it's, it's very kind of electronified. Yeah. Almost too much. Which Again, it, it sounds like they're trying to cover something up. Right, there you go. It's that process. <laughs> it sounds like you don't begin with a performance that you love and then do that to it. Yeah. You think maybe it was just something he instant message to Kygo as a joke and Kygo thought oh maybe I could do something with this <laughs> and had to kind of work with the phone audio or something it, it feels like that maybe I could do something with this I've got I've got 15 minutes to spare yeah um, sure why not oh I had just no time for Kygo's latest releases like that have you heard the Tina Turner one I haven't actually no well do you know um, what's love got to do with it yeah one of Tina Turner's biggest hits and was a it was the thing that relaunched her career in the 80s yeah and it has a key change in it. Mm. You step up key change at the end, but it's beautifully done because it goes through this kind of middle section and then it doesn't feel like the classic, oh, here we go up a key. A key. Yep. It actually works properly into the key change. Yeah. Not in Kygo's version. <laughs> Kygo just goes, wham, bam, thank you, man. It's up a semi, it's up a tone, rather. Oh. I kind of want to hear this. Oh, oh, and even worse. Oh, yeah. He introduces the upper tone thing with a truly EastEnders grade Tom Phil. <gasps> it's like, doof, 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 doof. Just so I can opinionate on this properly. Yeah. Do you have three minutes for me to just listen to this one? Go right ahead. It's great because I just had one of those Tim and Fred Williams moments of watching you experience it for the first time. <laughs> it made it even better. Better is one word. So it's the worst of like Puff Daddy style hook stealing. It's dreadful. And the thing that really appalls me about it is that I can just imagine the hideous, cynical business meetings involved. Mm. You know, next it'll be Mariah Carey or it's going to become this production line of shitty EDM covers of classic 80s hits yeah you know within about two seconds Mick Hucknall will be in there (laughs) (laughs) but okay as I was saying to Mike I've just gone I've just listened it's awful that Tom Phil is something terrible if you're considering going have a listen for yourself you could but also you could not and your day will be a bit better but for me the worst of all of these for forever and a day will be I'm having the time of my life oh. by the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, yes. Of course, it's not by the Black Eyed Peas, but their, their version of this, because again... The bit I think that it's... everyone remembers is the bit that isn't theirs. Mm. And this is what annoys me about a lot of these covers. It's like there's nothing of value that measures at all up to what the value of the thing you sampled was or the yeah. thing you recreated yeah, was. It, as you say, it's lazy. It's it's It adds nothing. No. Is they had a backing track already and then someone managed to get the rights to such and such a song yeah. and you just slap it on top and hope for the best. It takes everything and gives nothing. That's a good way of saying it, I think. Ah, oh, yes. Okay, good. Okay, so we've established that we're both grumpy old men. Yeah, but uh, this idea of Vin Diesel 
uh, releasing his first single. Mm. And this idea of actors that you wouldn't think were really qualified to release an album has inspired me. Exciting times. Towards another quiz for you. Ooh, ooh how exciting. <laughs> so I have some quiz questions for you. Oh, I do like quizzes. Now, <laughs> the first one is, which one of these music releases is the fake one? Oh, excellent. Okay, hit me up. We have Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. With the song Tumbling Tumbleweeds. <laughs> <laughs> we have the William Shatner album Shatner Claws. Oh, my God. We have Robert De Niro's album, You Singing At Me. <laughs> and we have Leonard Nimoy's single, The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. And, okay, just to recap, one of these is real? All but one of these is real. Oh, my goodness me. <laughs> oh, my. They, they all sound like you made them up. Now, I have personally had the displeasure of listening to The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. Yes. I don't know if this was some sort of twisted irony or what but anyone else wants to go and listen to spock chirpily narrating have you seen the video there's a video oh the video is priceless even the audio is upsettingly bad it's got this dancing group mm. you can tell they've had to suspend their sense of shame to dance around <laughs> with these obviously ridiculous looking pointy ears and furry feet oh and you can see them desperately trying to make this work desperately <laughs> thinking of the paycheck yeah heavens <laughs> okay so well you've eliminated leonard nimoy yes as a real one now Clint Eastwood, I could well believe. But calling it tumbling tumbleweed, <laughs> you know, on, on first listen, I thought, well, surely not. But then the next, okay, so then William Shatner, yeah. obviously famous for his upsetting spoken word albums. Mm. So that one felt like it was going to be real. But then what was the name <laughs> of the album again there, Mike? Shatner Claus. Shatner Claus. I guess that's a Christmas thing. But it also just sounds like an unreasonable part of any contract. Mm hmm. Okay, and then of course, De Niro's Are You Singing At Me? Was that the... You Singing At Me? Mm -hmm. They should all be fake. They should all absolutely <laughs> be fake. I'm going to have to... Gosh, it hurts. I'm going to have to take a pitch here mm. and say that... Yeah, it's between, it's between um, De Niro and Clint <laughs> the Eastwood. The look of agony on your face. Oh, it is agony. I, well, okay, you know what? No. I wanted to respect De Niro for his excellent early days, so I'm going to say that he's still good and that the fake one is his, you singing at me. And you're absolutely correct. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Bobby, thank you. Your image of De Niro has been preserved. I mean, I mean, he was in Meet the Fockers, so I'm, I'm not overly impressed with him anymore. <laughs> so wait, Tumbling Tumbleweed. <laughs> it's from his 1962 album, Clint Eastwood Sings Cowboy Favourites. Goodness me. And it's a good, like, ten or so tracks of like a hundred percent country and western ballads okay like are they decent it's kind of from his rawhide days you know lots of like plaintive harmonica and rather good slide guitar actually okay so listenable on balance i'd say that's probably the most listenable of all these all these things a hell of a lot more listenable than anything leonard nimoy put out well tell me more about shatner claws i mean william shatner is in a league of his own i mean yes with his I mean, if no, if if you listeners have never experienced a William Shatner version of a song, he's done multiple cover albums, and they're all in this kind of 
declamatory recitation style where he doesn't sing it. No. Nope. He just says the words. Over a backing track of the song. He did a ground control to Major Tom. And then they're all in this kind of rather kind of flowery kind of declamatory way of saying it. Think Royal Shakespeare Company. You wouldn't believe some of the songs he's done in this style. He's done Mr. Tambourine Man. No! <laughs> That's the least dramatic. Lucy in the Sky with Timons. <laughs> it was a very good year. Oh. And actually the YouTube video of It's a Very Good Year is beautiful because it is from his Star Trek time he's looking fully clean cut like the Star Trek thing and the, the kind of looking off into the middle distance oh my god you can see he's struggling to take it seriously it's just he's brilliant <laughs> oh wonderful but the best of all and I could not believe it in his 2011 album Seeking Major Tom hmm. not only does he do Space Oddity Rocket Man and Walking on the Moon he also does what is the song that by no rights he should be able to do the one song. I mean, okay, Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. No, 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 it's much more. When I say it, you'll say that is the song. That one is the song. What I, is the song that is most about a singer doing the most astonishing? I heard he sang a song. I heard he has a um, Killing Me Softly. Nope, no, much more than that. It is the archetype of rock opera. Now, okay, I don't think this is the answer, but it is what I wish the answer was going to be, mm. which is Queen of the Night. <laughs> Because that done in Shatner's inimitable style would make me so happy. It can be none other than Bohemian Rhapsody. No! <laughs> no! Oh, wow. It's like, how? But Shatner Claus is a real Christmas record from William Shatner. Oh. Including a punk version of Jingle Bells with Henry Rollins. Silent Night with Iggy Pop. Oh, my goodness me. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with ZZ Top's Billy Gibbons. What? And... Probably top of my list would be Oh Come Oh Come Emmanuel with Rick Wakeman. And listen, I just, I need you to bear in mind that none of this is singing. No, no. So when you hear a punk version, I don't know, a punk guitar and him Patrick Stewarting over the top of it? <laughs> it is, oh, it's all that. My it's word. All that. Oh, it's wonderful. Do you know when William Shatner's most recent album release was? Well, I have at least a 2011. 2011? That was Seeking Major Tom, but I think the Christmas album's the most recent one. Oh, no, no, because he's done a blues album. And actually, he performed on the Grand Ole Opry for the first time quite recently. You know, a blues album might be the first one that might sort of work. Yeah. Because spoken blues is a thing. I listened to a few bits of it and I thought it was just a bit cheesy. <laughs> it just it didn't, it didn't have the same appalling mismatch that has always characterised or tended to characterise his albums and has been the most amusing aspect of them. Okay, so here's, here's a question. Yeah. If you had to, by force, you had to sit and listen to William Shatner covering, let's say, an album in his inimitable style or the hits of a certain artist. Yeah. And this was going to be a 90-minute long concert without an interval. Yeah. What would you choose to maximise your own enjoyment? Just calling back to a previous episode, why not Jules' Pieces of You? <laughs> if there's any album in the world that deserves it. See, I... Oh, gosh. I'm not even sure if your twisted sense of justice, though, could find enjoyment in that experience for 90 minutes it's true but the vocal delivery would be a whole lot better it would that much is true well okay so here's what i'll offer you this is where i'm at the moment is that i would insist on it being eminem <laughs> i like that because one of his very few restrictions in in his very free-form beat poetry covers is that he has to get through all the lyrics by the time the track's finished <laughs> And make it something like Homicide, where he has to get through the middle of the most blistering rage. Yeah. Oh, but Gilbert and Sullivan. You could do the same thing, couldn't you? <laughs> so do his sisters and his cousins and his aunts. 
<laughs> his sisters and his cousins who he reckons are by dozens. Yeah, wow, that could be a trip. It could be the chill-out version of Modern Major General, couldn't it? <laughs> oh, you go the other way and you give him something like Daft Punk. Okay. But like one of their earlier albums. So, Around the World... Around the world. <laughs> Around the world. <laughs> Something that just repeats the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That would be great. It's too good. <laughs> anyway, but I, I have, I have a, another question for you. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, second question. Hit me. Which of these stars put out the most successful 80s album? Ooh, okay. So we have Eddie Murphy, Bruce Willis, Mr. T, <laughs> and Don Johnson. Okay, I'm going to be showing my age here. What will I know Don Johnson in? That name doesn't immediately ring a bell. Miami Vice. Okay, okay. Now, I want to say Eddie Murphy, because Eddie Murphy, to me, is the biggest star out of all of those. And he has kind of the, the most enduring appeal. And I know he did comedy albums. What, bigger than Bruce Willis? I don't think Bruce Willis ever did comedy albums. I really hope Bruce Willis never did comedy. <laughs> but no, didn't he start his career in, like, sitcoms? <gasps> I mean, I, I could believe it. Before of Die Hard and everything. I think he did. Okay, okay. I mean, I hope it's Eddie Murphy because that's the least upsetting answer. <laughs> Bruce Willis, perfectly serviceable action star, mm. but I hope he was never let near a recording studio. Mm. I want to spend the most time in this question, though, considering Mr. T. <laughs> because are you saying that they all released something and which was the most successful? Well, I can already spoiler alert and say that they all released albums <gasps> in the 80s. Okay, so I'm going to say that final answer, Mr. T's was the most successful. I don't know if it was financially successful. I don't know if the reviewers liked it, but the fact that Mr. T released an album <laughs> is, to me, just like... Aesthetically, it was That's a, a humankind success. That's a kind of species milestone <laughs> that we should all be celebrating on a daily basis. And again, the fact that I can't alt-tab away and listen to every single moment of it right now is painful. Well, I, his 1984 rap album, Mr. T commandments uh, and uh, sadly it is the least successful of the four. Oh no wait so Bruce Willis is actually oh okay let me let me state my claim I think it is going to be Eddie Murphy okay. just given his modern day success okay how am I doing well uh, it's not a bad guess oh no because of the lot he had the highest charting single okay okay he reached number two on the hot 100 wow with his single party all the time <laughs> And brilliantly, the album called uh, How Could It Be mm. was the result of a bet he made with Richard Pryor, lovely. who was a friend of his. Just lovely. And Richard Pryor said, I bet you a million dollars you won't do an album because you can't sing. <laughs> okay. And in the liner notes, it says, to Richard Pryor, my idol with whom I have a million dollar bet. No mother I didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was fabulous. That is. That so is the single cool. got to number two on the Hot 100. That's not bad. But the album only got to number 26. Okay, okay. So. Now, both of the other albums had singles that got to number five in the Hot 100. Really? Uh, Bruce Willis's 1987 album, The Return of Bruno, mm -hmm. and Don Johnson's album, Heartbeat, both had singles that. Uh, reached the top five or the reached number five in the Hot 100 I love this era of album names I love <laughs> I, I long for an era when you could get away with calling an album Heartbeat <laughs> and then everyone would just be like yeah okay without irony yes or peace or faith or something give, like that give, you me, know? give me those times again 
So who came out on top? It was actually Bruce Willis. Don Johnson reached number 17 in the album charts and Bruce Willis got to number 14. That's very respectable for a serviceable action movie star. But what's even better about it mm. is that it's before Die Hard. <gasps> oh my word. This is before he was an action hero. And actually, if you listen back to it, it's surprisingly good. Well, see, this was going to be my next question. It's equal parts kind of throwback 50s rock and roll Mm -hmm. and great 80s kind of funk pop. (laughs) Okay, that's going on the listening list. And it's not the only album he's done either. He's done one other one, but was later. Okay. It was post Die Hard. The fact that this was pre-Die Hard reminds me of that truly infuriating fact about Leonard Cohen. Yeah. That Leonard Cohen always viewed himself as a novelist, as a writer. Yeah. And then someone forced a guitar into his hand when someone cancelled and kind of in an informal concert setting and he became Leonard Cohen. He's the kind of reluctant music career. Yeah, exactly. He was kind of dragged on stage. I mean, you wonder whether Bruce Willis is like the reluctant action hero. Yes, he just, he just wants to keep making funky pop hits. Okay, on to the final question. So I've got one, one win, one loss. This is the tiebreaker, if you will. Yeah. I'm going to give you the names of five Marvel or DC comic book characters. Oh, dear. Okay. Which of their actors most recently released an album? Oh, okay. Okay. So this is a double challenge. I have to figure out who on earth played them most recently. So we have Black Widow. Mm Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel. Mm Mm-hmm. Iron Man. Uh, Okay, I know that one. That's uh, someone rather junior. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Bane. Uh, Yes, Tom, what's his name? Tom Hardy. Yeah. Hawkeye. Short, short spiky hairman uh, Jeremy Renner that's what I said well Black Widow is Scarlett Johansson okay Captain Marvel is Brie Larson okay and all of them have released albums no way <laughs> I thought this was a bygone era thing Mike I, your I, task are actors still doing this your task is to work out who released one most recently oh wow okay okay actually this year I would be happiest if it were Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Watching their acting, I feel like that would be the most interesting music to come out of it. Well, I mean, I, as far as I can see, her album was the most successful. Okay, okay. I think she made 41, number 41 on the Billboard chart, and had a single that went to number 189 in the UK. <laughs> Didn't even chart in the so US. She, she's big with the Brits. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, I maybe won't ever bother to listen to that, but that was the <laughs> most successful of all these albums. I mean, Brie Larson sold 4,000 copies in the See, US. isn't it with how the mind works? I am absolutely going to track down and listen to that. <laughs> so I can only imagine that Robert Downey Jr.'s is some, like, cocaine fueled EDM, some unlistenable German techno, but, like, sped up to 900% speed. What about his uh, carousing past life makes you think that? <laughs> I can't imagine what. Also, I, I don't know. I hope he didn't release one this year because I, I think it would be rubbish. This year, my goodness me. Okay, who else? We've got Brie Larson who sold 4,000 copies. That's Captain Marvel. My, my sympathetic side hopes that Captain Marvel did that this year because that gives her the chance that she'll hit the big 5,000 before the time is up. Mm-hmm. And there's Hawkeye. And Bane. Hawkeye and Bane. Okay, Hawkeye, I could absolutely see being an accomplished blues guitarist. Okay. Because he has so little to do in any of the films that he's in that maybe he just sat in his trailer. The amount of time he sat on set with his acoustic guitar. There you go. He just happened to get... Uh, Yeah, in a moment, Jeremy. He just happened to get very, very good at that. Um, Tom Hardy, I reckon, 
is like a brilliant operatic baritone. And so did like a collection of English arias, of, of Handel's arias. Or maybe he was rapper Tommy number one. Really? Really, Mike? Oh, no. Okay, so I, I'm going to go for Brie because I've, I've nothing against her. Captain Marvel okay. released an album this year, Mike, is, is my, my vibe. Well, you've not done too badly, I suppose. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. The tiebreaker's gone. Oh, no, wait. What am I saying? If she released anything after being Captain Marvel, yeah. it would have got way more than 4,000 sales. I'm an idiot. Okay, well, assuming that's an idiotic answer, then. <laughs> Let's assume for a moment that John's an idiot. And let's assume for a moment that in 2020, Tom Hardy isn't releasing a rap album. Right. So I'm going to go for the blues guitar stylings of Hawkeye. God knows he hasn't had much else to do. Garden Studio, putting it together. That's my final answer. Well, I mean, you were clearly on top form because it was Jeremy Renner. Yes! (laughs) Yes! After I got my idiocy out of the way, I nailed that one down. However, you completely misplaced the style. Oh, oh, really? Okay. Because his 2020 album, The Medicine, the lead single off that is called Main Attraction, and it is a total Imagine Dragons ripoff. <gasps> Interesting. It's ridiculous how much it is an Imagine Dragons ripoff. Mm-hmm. It's the big ponderous beat. It's the kind of shouty vocals. It's yeah. It's got everything that that way. How is the production? It's as good as you kind of expect of a A-list <laughs> Hollywood <laughs> actor, you know, paying someone to sound like Imagine Dragons. Okay, no, okay, I totally had that style wrong. It's like thoroughly missable, but competently done. But if, you, if you've misplaced all your Imagine Dragons albums... And all your imagination. And all your imagination. <laughs> okay, so, I, I really need to dig down on this now. Mm. Scarlett Johansson, what, what did she actually release? It was in 2009. It was now called Breakup. Okay. And the single Relator was the one that hit the heady heights of 189 in the UK charts. Ah, that all sounds very generic and I'm disappointed. Now, Brie Larson was a kind of a child star. Okay. So it was actually 15 years ago she released her kind of teeny album, Finally Out of PE. Wait, was that really called that? It was. Oh, wow. But even better. And this has a certain personal resonance for me because the single, Hope Has Wings, on this 4,000 copy selling album, Mm. features in a film called Barbie and the Magic of Pegasus, which (laughs) which is a film that I've actually seen multiple times. Oh my God. Because when my kids were small, they loved it. And it's one of those really early CGI animated films that the CGI is dreadful. Mm, mm. So it's like this combination of dreadful CGI and a Barbie film that I've seen way too many times. So you know this song. But what's perhaps the most damning indictment of this record and this song Mm. is that I looked the song up on the internet thinking, oh, I must know that and didn't recognise it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Despite knowing the film Despite the number of times I've seen this film. That is is magnificent. (laughs) Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was back in 2004. Okay. He did an album called The Futurist, but it's not what you would expect in in that respect. There's nothing kind of, it doesn't feel bad boy at all. It's almost like he's channeling Billy Joel or something. It's mostly ballads, kind of piano-led. Interesting. And yeah, again, a bit missable. The vocal styling's kind of good. You'd expect he's an actor, so he he kind of, Mm -mm. you get some expression out of the vocals, but there's nothing really much going on. Yeah, nothing to hold on to. Tom Hardy is the granddad of the whole thing, because his his rap album came out in 1999. Oh, damn. And actually, to be fair, well, I don't think it was officially released, but his collaborator then released the whole album on the net. I mean, yeah, you would. You absolutely would. And the album is called No Word of a Lie. Falling on your ass in 1999. <laughs> oh, 
I have a question for you, John. I have an answer for you, Mike. I know that you are a guitarist, but do you use guitar pedals? No, no, no. You know, it's it's one thing too far right. for me. I, it offers me too many solutions <laughs> and I get lazy and confused and distracted. The, the six strings are more than enough possibility to mess up for me. But I assume, working as you do often in a live environment, you see a fair few pedal boards. Oh, I have seen pedal racks. Oh, okay, go on then. How epic have you seen? How, I, I mean, I've definitely seen guitar performances where I've been less impressed by the fingers and more impressed by the tap dancing, <laughs> the kind of soft shoe shuffle that seems to take place across the, um, the myriad pedals. It's as if they're trying to shake a small mammal off their leg. That's very much what it's like, yes. That, that is how I would describe it. Okay. Well, anything that you have seen, I would guess, will pale into significance oh, gosh. compared <laughs> with... A recent world record-breaking pedal board that was built on the 9th of July this year by the American retailer Sweetwater. Okay. Seeing as we have world records on the brain. Absolutely we do. And they qualified for the Guinness world record of the world's longest guitar effect pedal board. It included... <laughs> 319 different pedals. God. No duplicates. Furthermore, they all had to be in circuit. Oh, wow. So nothing serial. They weren't allowed to have any, like, parallel stuff going on or AB switches or anything. They didn't all have to be active, but they had to all be in the same circuit, right? Feeding in just into each other, into the next, into the next. Which meant... Those 319 pedals from 34 manufacturers formed a pedal board 20 metres long. Oh, my God. With 150 metres of guitar cable connecting them. <laughs> I, have, I have so many questions. First of all, what was the noise like on that signal? Well, you see, this is the thing. They had, uh, I think, four or five different manufacturers there. They had a dozen Sweetwater staff... They had the guitarist guy who was a, like a YouTube guitarist called Rob Scallon. Okay. And all the guitar effect pedal manufacturers who were there just couldn't quite believe that they'd actually got any signal through it at all. <laughs> <laughs> One of them said he worked it out in his kind of spreadsheet. Even in the most ideal situation, only about 65% of the signal would get through the entire oh thing. God. Like theoretically. So they were all amazed that they were able to get any signal through at all. Okay. They did it really, really carefully with these dedicated powered pedal boards that are all carefully isolated and everything with, with filtered mains. And they, they did it as carefully as they possibly could and with the shortest possible cables. Right, right. So that they actually managed to get close to that ideal amount through. They got a clean signal through the thing with everything switched off, if you know me, with everything bypassed. Yeah, yeah. So they got it in and out of 320 pedals. That's quite something. I quote the guitarist. I've plugged into amps that have given me no noise. That <laughs> <laughs> it even worked. And one of the manufacturers said, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had plenty of like eight or ten pedal boards that have been much noisier than what was going on here. <laughs> I mean, there was so much cable in there that I think the electrical properties of the cable began to act as a low-pass filter. So they lost some high-end, apparently, through the scheme. <laughs> to show you just how big it is. I need, I need to watch this video. 
And what was the music they made? Rob Scallon had made a piece specially for it. Mm-hmm. One of the restrictions was that it had to be played as part of a live performance. Right. And so he did actually play some music through this thing. You can see that there's a video on this people decide about. And it. did he have to activate these pedals himself? I don't think he did much activating of the pedals while he was playing. I mean, he, uh, uh, while he was playing, there were like six or eight people sat in front of the pedal boards. And occasionally you could see them pressing a button or twiddling something. So mm. I assume they'd kind of worked <laughs> out amongst them how they were going to do it. They'd figured that out, yeah. Apparently he did have to take test that each pedal was working by going around and stamping on each one in turn. So he had to go through like, and he said he's like, he used to do a lot of skating. Yeah. And normally you just press on the pedal with one foot. And so he was having to do it alternate feet, like when he was skating. <laughs> oh, that was really funny. You want to be wearing a pedometer when you're doing that sound check. Yeah, totally. Rack up the whole day's work. He did say that they did try switching them all on. I'm so glad, Mike. I... <laughs> I needed that to be true. It's a tragedy that they have not made that audio available as far as I can see. Have they actually not? The guitar player said it was just totally destroyed, was his words. Don't you want to hear that? I mean, yes. It's, it's the only thing I want to hear. Really. It's probably just white noise. Something like that. It depends what uh, what stage of the chain it's at. If there were lots of like delay and chorusing pedals at the end, maybe it'd be like modulated in some way. But who knows? We don't get to hear. You need a really powerful limiter followed by a really powerful EQ, mm, mm. and then, then you maybe get away with it. Well, of course, at the end of the chain, they had to have amps. Right. And, of course, this being such an epic event, they couldn't just have a guitar amp at the end. No, couldn't they? No. They had seven 700-watt Marshall heads. Oh, my God. Each of which... <laughs> had a pair of 4x12s underneath it. So it's like this constellation of guitar amps behind where he was standing behind the pedal board. It filled the whole stage, basically. I'm going to actually have to look this up right now because <laughs> imagining it is too tempting. Oh, my God. How do you even navigate around? That's a, that's a hedge maze of pedals. I mean, it's incredible they managed to keep it as neat as it actually ended up looking. It's either going to be that neat... Or death. Yeah. That is magnificent. As you say, the, the amp set up behind him is a powerful <laughs> a powerful statement about the difference between what you can do and what you should do. But it brings me to my favourite factoid of the whole thing. Oh, do tell. One of the pedal manufacturers totted up what the power supplies for all the pedals added up to. Oh, yeah. And he found out that they added up to a thousand watts. <laughs> The power supplies for the pedals were more powerful than one of those Marshall amps. One of those gigantic amps. <laughs> wow. Which I just thought was brilliant. I'm looking at a top-down shot here of, of all 300 pedals. Mm. It's quite beautiful. It is, isn't it? It's this kind of impressionist mosaic of bright, eye-catching colours. It seems like they should just have left it on display or something. Yes. To be fair, they'd have been out of pocket like 90 grand's worth of stock, but <laughs> just putting that aside for the moment. If we can let go of that minus you know, actually, I think if you kept 90 grand's worth of pedals in working order on display and charged guitarists' entrance to come in and plug into the end of it and try whatever they would, wouldn't they make more than 90k in a year? They'd make a couple of thousand from me. There you go. Just kind of coming round on loop every morning. I think that's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Someone needs to set up the museum of guitar pedals where they allow you to plug into the entire chain. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be a travelling roadshow. <laughs> There's <laughs> competition to see whether any local person can make something resembling music. Why let that interfere with guitar pedalage? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good and long-standing question. Although I do wonder if it's the kind of thing that would be more fun to see than to 
actually do. I do get that impression. In fact, you are one of the very few people on Earth who will be able to share this sentiment with me. Oh, yeah? Because I've done a load of ridiculous audio demonstration things, of which you were part. (laughs) So we both know this. There's a whole bunch of things on my Cambridge MT site of piano miking audio examples. Mm -hmm. I remember it well. And I've had a lot of people say, oh, that's really cool. And to hear all these things, that must have been great fun. And it was like two days of of really, really dull stuff (laughs) to generate that. (laughs) So I totally feel their pain on that. Yeah, yeah. Amateurs. They they weren't they weren't they weren't bad days. Yeah. But they were they were long days. <laughs> Good hot paninis at the end of it. Yeah. I could probably still play that piece. You probably could, yeah. I think it's just seared into my neural pathway. Having edited it and listened to it for so long, I can definitely scream it in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Sweat soaked nightmare. I can, can yeah. confirm that at least. <laughs> God, it hadn't even occurred to me that for every time I played it. You had eight to ten recordings from different mic positions, which you had to, like, curate. Wow. You see, that that is our real um, note to posterity, isn't it? What, this piano sample? (laughs) Our epitaph will be... Wow, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> I'd forgotten that bit. You said you wanted something high and something low and something loud and something quiet, so I think I just did it in that order. It fulfilled the brief brilliantly. <laughs> now, as a strange twist of fate with this whole Sweetwater thing, it's a kind of ancillary thing, the guy who's written the articles on the Sweetwater website okay. is a guy called Lynn Fuston. I, I think that's how you pronounce his name. L-Y-N-N-F-U-S-T-O-N. Sounds like a Lynn Fuston to me. Now, he has previous form here because he used to have a company called 3D Audio that did a whole bunch of audio example CDs back in the day comparing loads of different microphones and preamps and AD converters and stuff in the most insane detail. (laughs) And and, and annoyingly, it looks like these things are now unavailable. Oh, really? I have them all and they are brilliant. And I've been trying to get in contact with the guy. So I'm hoping I might be able to use this thing as as some kind of an in to get in contact with him and somehow get these things available because they're such a tremendous resource. Why do you think they might have been offline, taken offline? Well, I mean, some of them, the products may be slightly out of date, but he included quite a lot of classic stuff in there as well. Mm. But it's just such a great listening experience to go through and actually listen to the difference that you get with 50 different AD converters or 50 different preamps (laughs) or 50 different large diaphragm condenser mics in front of various different things. Yeah. It gives you such perspective on what differences you can expect from changing a bit of equipment. Well, we're sending out a call. Yeah. A beacon, if you will. From one world record holder to another. Indeed. You know, this is this oh. is the level at which we're talking now. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the clubhouse. Well, I mean, they don't have an official one. Well, no, no. But hey, hey, you know what? They could apply for an official one. I was going to say. Yeah, we'll get in contact. <laughs> I have a bit of follow-up as well, actually. Okay, great. One of the things with doing about 18 episodes of a monthly podcast, we've done this for more than a year now. God. Which which means that um, a few months ago, when it was my turn to do the news, I was looking up uh, summer festivals. Mm. Then I remembered I'd done a news segment on that (laughs) a year ago. I couldn't just recycle and and say exactly the same thing and just expect podcast listeners to accept that. Mm. Unless I called it an update. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So... Welcome to edition two of Ridiculous Silly Summer Festivals. Now, last year we brought you the joys of Beermageddon and Deathfest. Yeah. But I wanted to go a bit deeper 
this year. Oh, wonderful. Inc- incidentally, it's not my turn to do news this month, so I'm just kind of hijacking it <laughs> and doing it doing it in the update section because this is just me wanting to do my summer festival thing before there's actually snow on the ground. Yeah. So, I wanted to I wanted to present you with a few ridiculous festivals that have actually happened this summer gone. Oh, all right. Let me start off gentle here. You come across the 24-hour drone festival in Hudson, NYC. 24-hour drone festival. Oh, yes. Now, you know, I would like that to be some aerobatics display thing with remote-controlled <laughs> things. Oh, me too. But I fear that there's going to be one too many didgeridoos involved in this particular <laughs> one. In other words, two didgeridoos. <laughs> oh, throwing the didgeridoo shade. I'm not sure. We've got a lot of hate mail in store for us after this episode. Mm. Here's the important thing to know about the 24-hour drone festival in Hudson, New York City. You might well take that to mean it's a drone festival that lasts 24 hours. That had been my guess, yeah. <laughs> you sweet summer child. No, might. no. Don't try and tell me yes. that this is a festival yes. of people who have to do drones for 24 hours. This is a festival celebrating a 24-hour-long single drone. Oh, my God. I mean, I have so many questions. Is this like each individual entrant has to drone for 24 hours? Or is it that they can form relay teams? Or is this a communal effort where everyone gets together and drones? The drone is produced by a set of musicians on a stage whose crimes, while not specified, must truly have been terrible. (laughs) And the venue is a large warehouse covered in cushions. Either cushions or beanbags, surely. Sure, I mean, yes. Divans. The line that really stuck to me in the description is that you are recommended to spend the whole time lying down. Okay. I'm not sure if that's just because it makes your weeping less obvious and less distracting <laughs> to your fellow patrons. Is it in conjunction with some kind of yoga society or something? Or, I don't know, vacuum cleaner brand? It, it could It could well be. It's like a tantric festival, is basically what it is. <laughs> Just how long can you keep it going? A tantric single, maybe, is what it is. <laughs> is the 24-hour drone. I w- okay, but here's my question, though. Okay. If we were local-ish, if you had the time free, <laughs> are you telling me you wouldn't go? Because I'm sure I would go. Tune out to the banging drone of this season. Hell, in the last year, I have probably lost composite 24 hours, a net 24 hours to watching TV I wasn't particularly enjoying because I was procrastinating. Yeah. Is that going to have been worse than finding out what happens to my brain when I put it in the blender of a drone for 24 (laughs) solid hours? These are existential questions to worry any freelancer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I mean, that's a really slippery slope when you start comparing the time that you're not really being productive with what you could have done in that time. Oh, well, let's let's take a sharp left away from that existential <laughs> black hole. Run away! To the second item of this not news, definitely, just a follow-up segment. You mean you've got a better than 24-hour drone? This is a six-page Word document here, Mike. Hit me with it. <laughs> Going to take you down to Big Pine Key down in Florida. Okay, right. To the Underwater Music Festival. <laughs> the Underwater Music Festival. Oh, I, I don't tell me. I'm still processing this one. Okay. So, that's difficult. <laughs> I was going to say, of course, you can't really play music underwater, but then there's like whale song and stuff. So, is. oh God. Is this like people in submersibles making music or is it the music actually happening in the water or is it animals being recorded that make noise underwater? Or You've let me flounder for long enough now. <laughs> And the more water puns we can get into this... The more fish references we can get in. Oh, it'll be amazing. Not to carp on, but um, let me tell you what this festival is really a trout. Oh, Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> One of the least productive afternoons in Sound on Sound was when we started making fish puns. <laughs> and it's like everyone was then like on Google looking up progressively more obscure fish and working out contrived puns for them rather than actually doing anything. And then someone mentions some fish and everyone else just tries to use that same fish and you, in the end you're just kind of parroting. Oh, no. No, wait, wait, no. nearly. Oh, no. No, we'll cut that one out. Okay, I'm going to trace for you what my level of excitement was learning about this festival. I, I think you'll follow the same one. Okay, yeah. It's a very exciting thing to hear about. You learn a little bit more. And you, you think, oh, this is actually, this is super lame. Yeah. Then you learn a little bit more and it's incredible again. So bear with me. Bear with it through the slump. Absolutely. Okay, right. There's hundreds of snorkelers and divers okay. coming together to this coastal key. I'm not sure exactly what a key is. I could tell that from some of your music, frankly. but. <laughs> <laughs> some atonal shade being thrown there. <laughs> Although really, the insults I get more often is that my pieces rarely even have accidentals. Oh, right. Oh, they just sound weird. Why would you Why would you break the flow of a... <laughs> anyway, so anyway. go on. Uh, yeah, so you've got <laughs> hundreds of snorkelers. Still sounds like a promising start. Here comes the slump. They mime. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still not bad. We've got to realise there's huge speakers under the water. Uh, oh, okay. And they are underneath rocking out on homemade... Starting to get better. Homemade fish instrument hybrids. Okay. So these are homemade instruments made to look half like fish, <laughs> half like instruments. Please Google this because there are moray eel trombones. Oh, wow. This seems to be like the spiritual twin of that thing in, is it in Brighton where people dress up as birds and run off the pier. I want to believe it's in Brighton. That sounds incredible. There is that one where you like people create things that look like flying machines that don't actually really fly, and they just <laughs> they just cycle off the pier or run off the pier with these things, and they always look rubbish. <laughs> and it's just a big kind of fundraising. It sounds like a spiritual equivalent of that. Maybe they're in the same place. I could well believe it. It could be a double festival. Transatlantic partnership. So how long does this festival go on for? Uh, it's a couple of days. Just one tide. <laughs> yes, for as long as the air tank lasts. A couple of days? I mean, how long can you string out a single joke? At least 18 episodes <laughs> would be my answer to that question. <laughs> so it's basically, it's like air guitar, but with real instruments. Wow. Well, real objects that you're not really playing. Yeah. And you just kind of dance underwater to dad rock. Oh my God. Again, I'm not going to travel there for it. Wow. But if I was within 50 miles when it happened. Well, so what time of the year is it? Uh, it's every summer. Oh, drat. Because my folks now, because my mum's American. Oh yeah? They now spend half the year in Florida. Oh. But they only spend the winter in Florida. Oh no. They're going to miss out. Why are they choosing the wrong time of year? They could have been our, our first ever Project Studio Tea Break correspondents. They could have. Oh. Heaven's sake. Please pass on to your mum my disappointment. I will. Disappointment is a common feeling she has whenever <laughs> Right, meter, so. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. You'll finally be able to pass some back. Redirect some at least. <laughs> Deflect it in some minor way. Okay, we're gonna go we're gonna go fast down the, the last three. We're gonna lightning round these. Okay, okay. Because I wouldn't like you to think that crazy summer music festivals are just a modern thing. Okay. The Alright. <laughs> the three that I've got here are all festivals which include a lot of music. <laughs> where where kind of music is coming from every home during the day and then there is a fire and lots of music in the evening. Okay. But the thing they've got in common, these three ancient festivals... Right. ...is just throwing a huge amount of food at each other. Uh, the, well, the festivals do, well, people do. So... The one you may have heard of is La Tomatina, La Tomatina, pardon. Okay, right. Which is 
the world's largest food fight festival <laughs> takes place in Bonio, Spain. And <laughs> do, do you want to take a guess at how many people take part in this tomato food fight every year? A tomato food fight? Yes, in a tiny, tiny town in Valencia. Well then, I'm going to guess... 3,000? 20. 20,000 20, people every year. 20,000 oh people every year come to this tiny town. The tomato fight itself lasts for one hour. Oh. So I want you to imagine the intensity. Oh, God, yeah. The intensity of 20,000 people who've travelled from every country on the globe knowing that they've got 60 soul minutes to do this. I yeah. so want to be there. Oh, God, yeah. So want to be there. I mean, there. that's the mother of all soups, that is. Anyhow, then these are part of a bold tradition which include an Italian town called Ivrea, where <laughs> every year <laughs> they have a similar no, fight. No, 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 let me, let me guess, let me guess. Um... Soft fruit. Uh, no. Surprisingly, no. No? Okay, wait for it. Um, fish. <laughs> well, no, it, it is a fruit. It's just not a fruit that I would personally consider soft. So it's like, it's proper projectile stuff. I mean, it does sort of sound like it. Wow. Pomegranate? Oh, God, that would be even worse. <laughs> no, but these are, these are fully grown oranges. Oranges? Now, if anyone threw an orange at my head... I don't think I'd be angry, but only because I think I'd be unconscious. Yeah, they're slightly soft. It'd be a bit like being hit by a massive paintball, wouldn't it? Yes, and when you when you factor in that this is a truly tiny town, and every year they get through 600,000 kilograms... That is 600 tons! 600 tons <laughs> of tough oranges. You have to assume that the emergency wards are just full of concussion cases... <laughs> For months. Oh my God. And then my personal favourite, we, we head back to Spain, northern Spain, mm. in La Rioja, mm. where everyone dresses in white. Oh, no. <laughs> and throw raspberries at each other? <laughs> Close. The effect is very similar. Blackcurrants. No, no, think uh, this is not a food. Um, ink? Red wine. Oh, of course. <laughs> Can you imagine anything more bacchanalian? That is epic. Just this little quote here from a... I can't find where the article is from. From an article on, on this festival. It involves thousands of all-white-wearing locals and tourists tossing delicious vino tinto on each other using buckets, <laughs> bottles and water pistols. Fabulous. To honour St. Pedro. Don't know who St. Pedro was, but I think we'd get on. Now, you see, why can't we do that kind of stuff in the UK? I mean, it's all cheese rolling. And <laughs> I know. Growing enormous brassicas. It's like, <laughs> you know, have some fun, for heaven's sake. The, um, the one-week fiesta culminates with a terrific wine battle on a hill outside the small town. I just... Yeah, county fairs are great in the UK. I, I enjoy them. I suppose so, yeah. I, I like guessing how many jelly beans there are in the pot as much as anyone else, but, mm. you know... A terrific wine battle on a hill sounds pretty good. God, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, you'd actually wish for collateral damage, wouldn't you? It's like... Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I fall on my own water pistol. <laughs> oh, no! I've got me! I've got me again! No! <laughs> so, there you have it. Just a small taste of the goodness available at patreon.com slash projectstudio tea break. There is more than 12 hours of other bonus content there, as well as the warm, virtuous glow that comes from financially supporting the finest Project Studio pod nonsense. And stay tuned for next month's episode, where John and I will be chewing over this year's Grammy nominations. Till then, to our pets! (laughs) 